Punisher, Season 2, Episode 5, One-Eyed Jacks. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is episode 210 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we're talking about The Punisher, season two, episode five, One-Eyed Jacks. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio, much like Madani, Amy, slash Rachel, and Frank, I am Chris. So which one did that make me? Am I Frank? Because I'm in control this week? I'm Madani. Okay. I'm a liar, so take it with that <laughs> and you will. <laughs> So you just have many, many names, Chris, that's all, right? Today I should be known as Rachel. <laughs> yes, today I am Dina Madani, and I am going to kill Rachel for using my credit card. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about our spoiler-filled discussion of the fifth episode of season two of The Punisher, One-Eyed Jacks. Uh, really interesting episode, this one. Um, they're back in New York, there's loads going on. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, spendage going on on the old credit card. Uh, there i'm i would be very surprised if madani doesn't set up a little alert in case anybody spends you know two or three grand on her credit card <laughs> yeah, on a new a new surface tablet to gets delivered on the same day that's got to be expensive yeah, right that's that's pretty impressive but uh what's least but what's less impressive is the fact that the credit card company didn't phone madani mm-hmm. to say that there was huge amounts of spend going on across new york she works in Homeland Security. Why does she not have two-factor authentication on some of her cards? <laughs> exactly. Seriously. Come on, Madani. Oh, nobody does that, Chris. Everybody's told to do it. Nobody does it. And everything was being delivered to the same address, though, remember. So it wasn't that she, the shopping was happening all across the city. She was getting everything delivered to the house. So That's that true. maybe wouldn't throw up a huge flag for the credit card company but let's not get into the details of credit card companies <laughs> it's just after christmas nobody wants to talk about their credit card i totally <laughs> understand uh, guys i think it's time to get into our discussion about this episode but fellow defenders if you haven't subscribed to the podcast make sure you do we are on all violent and gun shy podcast catchers out there including obviously apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher and spotify if you want to listen to us uh, subscribe to us on there and you'll get all of our episodes as they come out twice a week for this coverage of the punisher you can also pop over and join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. And if you want to send us any thoughts about any of the episodes, what should they do, John? Yes, please send in voicemails or email. Uh, you can go through our website at defenderstvpodcast.com to leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail. Uh, just click on the right-hand side tab to leave your thoughts by voicemail or go to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com to email us in the traditional way. So with all that, Derek, do you want to tell us some details behind this episode? Yes, this episode was written by Dario Scardapane. Uh, he's written two episodes of season one of The Punisher. He wrote uh, Home and Resupply. This is his first of two episodes that he's writing for this season of The Punisher. And he also was a, a series producer and an executive producer for the last season of The Punisher. Um, he's joined by Stacey Payson, uh, who's the director of this episode. This is the first episode of The Punisher that she's directed, but she's been involved with episodes of TV shows like The Affair with Dominic West and House of Cards as well on Netflix. Dominic West, as everybody knows, came to fame in The Wire and also has played a Punisher character before. The awful, awful version of <laughs> Jigsaw in the uh, last film that was made. But great to have Stacey Payson on board for this episode and great to have Darius Gardapain back. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. 
Billy Russo has been given safe harbourage by a compromised Dr. Dumont at her home as he begins to connect with former army veterans in New York. Meanwhile, Dina Madani begins to open up to Frank Castle and Curtis about Russo and her state of mind as Amy begins to open up Madani's credit card as she goes on a spending spree. <laughs> However, Frank goes on a spree of a different kind as he talks to Turk Barrett about the Russian war in New York and then follows him to a gym in downtown New York. At the gym, Turk is forced to, into setting a trap to capture Frank, who the Russians believe killed their man Kachevsky in Chicago. However, it's not a trap if you know it's coming. That's Frank's philosophy, and he turns the tables and barbells on the Vor <laughs> gang members as he extracts information. Elsewhere, the man in black, known as Pilgrim, plans his visit to the unholy land of New York in search of Frank Castle, Amy, and the pictures as he pays a deadly visit to the Russian gym in downtown. Excellent. Thanks, John. Yeah, it seems like they're tying together a lot of the storylines in this episode, which is really well needed at this point in the show. We're five episodes in, so really good to see these bits from Chicago, the bits from um, from Amy's past, and the bits that are going on in New York all tying together a little bit more in this episode. Let's get into our top five bullet points with bullet point number one. Let's talk about Frank and Madani chatting about Billy Russo. Yeah, because there's a few uh, nightmares going on in here. We know that Billy Russo is having nightmares of the Punisher, or at least of, of the skull. But we see here Madani waking from her own nightmare uh, with a, you know, the pre-injury Billy Russo staring at her. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sets up this conversation that Madani has, um, not only with Frank uh, and Amy, who's there to tell them about um, Billy, who killed uh, Arthur, the old man, uh, but also why she accepts Curtis's invitation to stay at the meeting of the former army veterans. Uh, so I, I really kind of like this because in, in a sense, yes, Billy is haunted by the specter of, of the Punisher, but Madani certainly, um, is haunted by Billy Russo. You know, she was shot and she had her, uh, right hand man and, and colleague, uh, Stein murdered by him. Uh, you know, someone she had a relationship with, she got intimate with. So this is, this really is a, a form of a nightmare in her own right that uh, Madani has. And I like the fact that she gets the chance to explain how she's feeling, how she sees it. Um, you know, at the moment, we're seeing a lot of what Billy thinks um, in, in relation to his scarring and, and the that trauma that occurred there at the hands of Frank Castle mm -hmm. um, at, at the fairground on the Ferris wheel. Uh, but I really like that we're, we're getting to hear about Madani because um, she also went through quite a lot, really, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chris, I know this is something that you were looking for throughout this season was a bit of Madani talking about her past and some of the things that have happened to her mental state as well. Uh, do you think this served for, for that purpose? I think in the last episode I was talking about how I think she was kind of starting to come out of it. So uh, with when she confronts Mahoney, it seemed like we were getting a bit more of the badass Madani back. Mm -hmm. With this nightmare, it's almost like we've taken a step back or we've taken one step forward, two steps back to a degree. Because yeah. yep. she does come in and she is aggravated and it's visible. She's starting to look haggard and tired and like she's not sleeping. Yeah. And now her... Clothes are still well-pressed. When she comes in in a hoodie, I'm going to get worried. <laughs> yeah. So while we do get this glimpse again of badass Madani, 
her mental state is starting to take a bashing and a half. Yeah, yeah. It feels like she never dealt with it. I think that's kind of the issue, regardless of all of the work and the therapy that she would have gone through that she would have been forced into by Homeland to take her job back or get her job back. It feels like she never dealt with it. So what we're seeing here is a lot of, um, you may see glimpses of Madani, the kick-ass person that works for Homeland, and then she will fall back on these other experiences. And luckily, I think having this moment where she's under attack really from the people around her at this uh, this meeting kind of going oh who's the tourist and then she gets her opportunity to share who she really is and what she feels she's done for america and done for the country and never gotten the credit for it because everybody thinks well if you don't serve for the army and you don't serve for the marines and you don't serve overseas you're not protecting the country and that's been her whole life and she's put up with this and lost people and been shot herself as well so i think it's a really great moment for for madani to have yeah i i I really like that actually i have to say um I think it's really important what Madani did in terms of calling out. I think it's Jake, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the veteran who was at uh, Dumont's uh, surgery as well and ultimately ends up drinking at the bar uh, with uh, Russo. Mm-hmm. But I really like the idea that, you know, she says, I can deal with this. I can speak for myself. And that she then says, look, I get it. You went through something that makes you special and no one else can understand but it's not exceptional, effectively, is what she's saying. You know, yes, it's different. Not everyone goes through that. And it, prov- it you know, it results in a unique kind of post-event trauma in some respects, you know. But I like the fact that she calls it out as that it's not unique. It, it's not just you that goes through that. And you don't have to be in a war-torn area to go through trauma. Um, you can be, and it can be nothing to do with the military like she was with, with Homeland, or it could be its colleagues on the front line in cities who are being shot at or lose um, a partner. So mm-hmm. I really like that she kind of called that out as, you know, stop thinking you're exceptional, effectively, um, despite the unique set of circumstances that lead to what they're dealing with. Yeah. For me, it was her graphic description of being shot. Mm-hmm. That really kind of landed at home yeah. for the group, in particular for Jake, the army vet who we met in um, Dr. Dumont's place, but mm-hmm. also in the sport group. My God, New York is small. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, there's only one support group and one therapy doctor and psychologist in all of New York. Well, it is the best support group, without a doubt. I have to say there's a great moment that I have to call out from Curtis Hoyle um, as she's talking to Madani, and Madani's trying to get more information out of him. I love that moment when you see the guys coming in for their support group, and he goes, Madani, you're either going to have to join us or you're going to have to leave and come back to me afterwards, because if I tell these guys they've got to wait on you, then I'm treating them the way they feel they're being treated all the time as second-class citizens, and I'm not willing to do that. It's a great moment where you feel that you feel the ownership that Curtis has for this group and what he's doing for them as the leader of this group, the trust that they have in him to be there for them whenever they need they need him. You know, It's a lovely moment just to set up that character again. He was great in season one. I think he disappeared towards the end of the season we wanted to see a lot more of and i'm really glad they brought him back for this season as well yeah no same here i want to see where it goes Mm -hmm. will he will he be forced to confront billy himself 
and stop playing guard duty in his own apartment. Maybe, but there is some really fun stuff that happens in the background to this episode. We'll talk about it a little bit more as we get into just the extra points here. But really, it ends off with himself and Madani kind of forming a little bit more of an alliance. I like that we didn't really know that they'd never seen each other in the last season. They, they bring that up immediately. They feel like they are strongly connected with each other because, well, both of them were shot by Billy last season. So they feel like they're really connected, the two characters. And we're starting to see them build up a relationship. And Madani says to him, you know, if you do find any information about Billy, I'm hoping that you're going to tell me first and not somebody else, you know? And technically, that's kind of what happens. Curtis is still sharing information with Frank. He's already met up with Frank before Madani comes anywhere near him. So he's still friends of Frank. I just love how Frank is turning into Voldemort. <laughs> he who should not be named. And we will just sidetrack every... We will not mention that one name. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay. It's just like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know that guy? <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, just hey. in case there's a bug in New York and we get taken down by him or by anybody else. Okay. <laughs> and to be honest, his face is getting battered so much, I expect him not to have a nose as well soon enough. Like Voldemort. <laughs> Frank, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Let's get on to bullet point number two, guys. Um, the shopping spree. Amy and Madani's credit card, right? So let's just talk a little bit about Amy. She has things to do in this episode, not a huge amount. I always kind of find it difficult when you have this character who's just sitting in the background of everything else that's going on. But we have a little bit of um, exposition, I suppose, where we see her ability to um, palm things. So she's showing off this uh, three-card Monty trick to Frank and really plays him over and over again. Yeah. It seems like she's putting herself in a really dangerous position with Frank because he's getting more and more frustrated, even when she teaches him the gag of what you should be looking for and then still pulls the wool over his eyes three more times. And Frank is getting more and more aggressive that she is changing the game so that he can't win. And that's what she's trying to teach him is the only way to win the game is not to play. And Frank goes, or make sure you're the dealer. Yeah. Yeah. And that for me was the best teachable moment you could have done this whole piece with just like a piece of dialogue yep but the decision to do this about three card monty mm-hmm. it's just it was interesting i was trying to figure out where it was where because she just kept repeating the only way to win is not to play uh-huh. and i was like okay so this is what they're setting up and then that last line delivered by frank makes you go oh so this is how they're gonna do it mm-hmm. frank's gonna become the dealer. he's gonna start palming quote-unquote things exactly. yeah and i liked how it played into effectively his circumvention of the surprise attack by the russians on him mm-hmm. as well you know that it, it was his trick here that he um played a sleight of hand in that he followed Turk Barrett and saw what was going down. So I, I really liked that moment. But I mean, I have to say this for me was one of the, the whole uh, credit card montage that really happened in this was kind of, I just didn't quite get Amy's rationale here. I, I just kind of was like, if I was Madani, I would have chucked you out of the apartment um and probably not through the door, through a window. I mean, you know, she's been given safe harborage here. Yeah. And next thing she's um, nicking her credit card. I, I just, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Um, and, you know, just to say that it, it's because Madonna isn't happy about anything. Well, she's going to be even less happy after this. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just 
didn't understand why this was inserted into this episode. And those are all things that Frank says to her. And I totally agree with you. There's definitely, you know, you would have an alert on your card. But, you know, she does say that Madani wouldn't notice this kind of stuff. Madani's been completely out of connection, I suppose, while she's over with Curtis and, and sitting in that support group. So she's not going to notice this money going during that day. Apparently, all of this stuff gets delivered in New York. As I said, a $2,000 computer or a $1,000 Microsoft Surface computer being delivered within an hour of purchase to an apartment on somebody's credit card. I'm not too sure whether you can get that done even in New York, whether they get them delivered that quickly, but maybe they do. I don't know. Um, but even with that, she's probably spent a couple of grand. I'm sure really the whole reason for this is because they need some way to explain why Frank and Amy are going to be wearing clothes that fit them in the next episode without actually being out in public and standing underneath uh, cameras in public locations. So they can explain that by her stealing the credit card. It's a bit of exposition turned into a moment for Amy in the episode. But you're right. It feels totally unnecessary. It feels like she could have just said it in a line rather than it, having a whole storyline about it that's never going to come back. It just felt really kind of evil. It was kind of mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? And I mean, there was that moment when Madani comes back to the apartment at the end and Amy and Frank have left, taken everything. And then there's the credit card with all the kind of receipts. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Madani just really cut a very lonely figure. And maybe there's a point in, in that that I can, I can grasp, you know, that Madani has kind of exposed herself, you know, and, and really tried to open up about her feelings and about the impact of, of Russo on her. And she's, coming back to an apartment where she's alone and she's still having to deal and face all of that still uh, on her own. And, uh, you know, because even with Rafi, her her boss, you know, she says she did the minimum amount of psych uh, counselling mm-hmm. uh, that she needed to get back into the job. Yeah. I wish there was more of an intention. I really don't think there was. I think that was just simply to show that she's come back to her apartment and the credit card is still there and the receipts are still there. I don't think there was anything deeper than that. Unfortunately, I think it was just simply a bit of exposition that they turned into a turned into a scene, sadly. I think it was really done just to reinforce Amy's background as a com- common. Mm-hmm. That plus the three-part Monty show that she kind of is not a... Uh, yes, a bad person, but like more, she's used to living off the, the, the wealth of others. Mm-hmm. So she sees no moral, she does not see a moral issue with stealing Madani's credit card because Madani is never happy and she has all the money anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She, she can afford it anyway. She, yeah. Yeah. So I think it was just that. Yes, it was used for exposition, but it also used as to show the characters kind of I don't know alignment for the for those of us who play D anD D. It's basically she's chaotic neutral, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, oh no, she's she's definitely bad. She's definitely got an evil streak in her. Um, yes, definitely that is part of the character of Amy uh, that we've seen in the past. She's a grifter. She's somebody that that's willing to use all of her tip tricks to get whatever she wants out of the situation. But you're right; it does feel really inconceived if we're going to like this character five episodes in and we see her 
taking a hell of a lot of money off Madani, who's a character we like from season one. So we don't really want to see her get all of her stuff stolen off her. But anyway, let's move on to our, our point number three. We've talked about Dumont's house a little bit earlier on, but this is all about the safe house that Dr. Dumont has created for Billy here. Um, Billy wakes up kind of freaking out. We saw that scene, actually, I think the scene themselves, the two of them put together with uh, Billy having his nightmare once again, probably about the mask and uh, Madani having her nightmare about Billy. It's, it was a really interestingly put together scene having both of them having their nightmares at the same time so you couldn't tell which nightmare was whose in a way uh, i thought that was really well put together but we do have billy waking up and completely freaking out with with dumont and dumont using a really interesting technique to get him to calm down just getting to focus on five blue things in the room and you see him using that technique to calm down and get himself back to a place where he's able to focus on the right thing again will this relationship last for a very long time do you think I, I think so. We get that hint that Dumont has problems herself um, when she's um, filling up the water glass for Billy. Yeah. We see five cuts on her arm. Yeah. Um, we see multiple which, cuts going up going up to where her sleeve comes down as well. So they make exactly. a higher. Yeah, we see a number of cuts. Yeah. So we see that she is troubled herself. Yeah. Uh, and then they don't look fresh, so maybe she was more troubled. Um, but I think this is... There, I think we will get some version of the Harlequin, uh, or Hardy, Dr. Quinzel and the Joker kind of relationship Ooh. where over time she'll come to more rely on Billy, but she's actually thinking the one that she's there to help Billy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where we're going, but I think because of her, her illnesses, because we also, uh, and I'm kind of skipping ahead, but at the end, um, or midway towards the, the end of the episode, we find that she has an extreme fear of heights, kind of vertigo. Um, cause it was very strange. I didn't know what was happening. So we see her kind of breathing deeply. She paces, then she opens up her window, her curtains to see the window. And then she slowly starts stepping towards it yeah. and placing her hand. And I thought for a second that the window was open mm-hmm. and that she was like going to try and kind of off herself by jumping through a window. Um, but then actually it's just, we see that kind of, uh, camera trick where it kind of pans in and fades and kind of yeah. blurs it. And we see that that's also a problem. So maybe they're starting to hint at her own problems from previous kind of times. So this is where I was thinking that your theory may be right, Chris. Oh, just- can I get that in writing? Well, they have it. Note this, fellow defenders. For once, Derek has agreed with me. It's even better. Just purely because I think someone that has all of these problems may have issues being a therapist in a hospital with someone of an extreme condition like Billy's. Um, If she has been self-harming and she has issues with vertigo or at the very least a fear of heights, um, an extreme fear of heights, which is debilitating and, and keeps her indoors in her apartment at times, I'm not too sure whether you would be employed by the state to go and help people out in a hospital that have psychotic tendencies, which is probably as close as you get to the diagnosis of Billy in, in my head, I suppose. So I'm wondering, has she been employed by somebody else to use the techniques that she used to have as a doctor, that she's no longer a recognized doctor because of the problems she's gone through and somebody else has been using her to deal with Billy? Of course, she is dealing with somebody else. She's dealing with Jake. Uh, in this episode as well so not too sure whether that theory really pays off but 
it was where it got me questioning and where it got me kind of going, maybe Chris is right. Maybe there is something else here. Maybe she's being used by somebody else because she has these problems and they don't, and they're, they're covering them up to let her keep her license if she works with Billy, something like that. But, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's some interesting stuff in there. But once again, these are things that are going to pay off probably in future episodes. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it kind of really plays to the fact that she is covering up stuff that has happened in her life that mm-hmm. may, uh, prevent her from being the best uh, therapist uh, in the world. And in which case, that chimes with Billy. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, maybe her helping Billy out where she takes him in is because she sees elements of uh, her in him. You know, whether it's down to the disfigurement f- from her arm in his face or whether it's because she knows that he has covered up uh, aspects of his life previously and it was trawled through the the media and the news you know she might know him a bit like jake does because yeah. of the press coverage that he's got so um i kind of i think it makes more sense for me that she would be doing this with billy keeping him safe buying him clothes even though she knows it's not the right thing to do, even though she says to him as well when he asks um, that you know you'll be in serious trouble if we're caught, and she agrees with him, mm-hmm. but she's still doing it. So I think from some of these things that we see in this episode, like the scars, like the vertigo, or the fear of outdoors, that she can empathise with Billy's predicament. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of a Bonnie and Clyde or a Thelma and Louise moment that kind of comes in here with Billy where um, Dumont brings him some new clothes so he's able to kind of move about a little bit and it doesn't look like he's wearing, you know, hospital scrubs anymore. Um, but then he reveals to her, I'll never go back into custody. They will never be able to make me go back in. Um, and she's kind of trying to t- tell him that he's not the only person that's been felt let down and not the only person that's gone through things like this. And he just kind of says, but it's different for me because whatever it is that got you into those situations, you can remember the- that thing and you can move on for- from it. I can't remember what it was that got me in here. I can't remember what it is that messed up my brain. So I'm never going back in to pay for something that I don't even remember doing is, is basically the attitude. So you kind of get a little bit of an idea that Dumont and Billy are willing to run away together and Dumont is already aware that Billy will go down all guns blazing if he needs to or kill himself rather than being taken back up. So I'm getting a little bit of a, as I say, a Bonnie and Clyde or a, a Thelma and Louise kind of thing out of that discussion that they have. Yeah, I, I can see that too. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Jake, who's the other person that's in, in the house here because I think this is going to be the big arc really for Billy for the season. Yeah, I think this is the start, the start of, off, yeah. of him connecting and probably recruiting people to a group that mm-hmm. he has for what end. Um, I presume at some point it may be because his memory does return or the connections reform. Uh, but until that happens, to what end? I don't know. But, uh, you know, we see them connect at uh, McFeeney's bar uh, where we have them uh, drinking whiskey we have them drinking uh beer and having that kind of conversation about being a veteran and uh i think it was something you said as well derek and that idea that jake you know you don't really get this very often in tv series sometimes um you know that 
people like Billy Russo or indeed Frank Castle fly under the radar despite all of this mm-hmm. um press coverage that is shown within the series and we have that moment where jake says i knew who you were the first moment i saw you yeah Uh, i'm right behind you i agree with you you know so that was a nice moment i think yeah absolutely it's something that just happens twice in this episode you just don't get to see it normally in comics or in tv shows or in movies at all these are two people that would be hugely well known to the population of new york especially former veterans in new york they would absolutely know who Frank Castle is and they'd absolutely know who Billy Russo is. Billy Russo's picture must have been plastered all over the news after the big shootout that happened in New York. Frank Castle obviously went to court and had the biggest trial of the of the century. So, of course, the Russians are going to go, what's the Punisher got to do with my business? You know, loads of people are going to know these people on site. So I'm glad they've used that. I'm glad they've kept that continuity, for want of a better word, that these people would be well known across the city. Yeah, and don't forget as well, Billy was the one who was also recruiting ex-military, mm-hmm. former veterans into the security force. Mm-hmm. So he was taking ex-Marines. Um, I think, is this guy the Air Force? Is Jake Air Force? Something about flying. So I, I, I got or an understanding maybe paratrooper or something. Um, he's not a Marine anyway. I don't know what I don't know what arm of the American uh, army or the American military force he is part of, mm-hmm. um, but I got kind of he's definitely not the same as um, as Billy and Frank. There is some discussion about would you drink with a Marine? Is what Billy says to him. You're right. So he is saying to him, "I'm a different designation than you, but we're still both." former army or former uh, former armed forces, so we'll drink together kind of thing, yeah. Mm. Um, I'm wondering with this guy, Jake, is anybody else getting shades of uh, an older, at least, and more experienced version of Lewis from season one? Um, season one, the character Lewis was the guy that was uh, wanted to take down society because of how he was treated after coming back from the war and not being allowed to go back into the army again. Um, this guy doesn't want to go back to the army. We hear that, you know, when he says he wants to stop drinking because he's getting really drunk and Billy's going, well, you don't have to get up at five in the morning again. And he goes, never, not for the rest of my life. But he does miss the camaraderie and he does absolutely hate looking around at the people that he fought for. As he says, these people in a bar getting drunk, taking selfies of each other are the worst kind of people to this guy, Jake. He's going, they don't respect the freedom that we fought to give them. And that great line from Billy of, what if all of us stood up at the same time together? We could really do something in this country. We could take over this country. It's a really, it's real fighting line and fighting moment uh, where they're drawing uh, a parallel between the two of them and what everybody else that's done and fought for the freedoms of the country would do if they stood up together at one time. It's a really interesting moment, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely see the parallels between the previous, um, for, for Lewis, mm-hmm. from the previous season. Um, I'm hoping they go somewhere different with it mm-hmm. because I don't want literally Jake to be Lewis 2.0, if you want to call it that. I think what we're seeing big difference, and that's that's probably why I'm enjoying it a bit more, is this isn't a lone person going out bombing and killing people this is already forming relationships between these people to form a new group or a new organization of effectively terrorists which is what they'll be seen as if they do form a group like this but i do like seeing that kind of side of things with billy forming these relationships he seems so much more confident when he walks into the bar than we've seen him for the last four episodes as well i thought um, when you see Russo walk into the bar, he looks like he has a mission and knows what he wants to do. Whereas the last couple of episodes, he looked kind of shy and reserved and almost 
fearing of himself and what he can do, but it feels like he's found a kindred spirit. Yeah, Jake. Uh, definitely. Um, although I really like the fact that he stumbles with the flashbacks mm-hmm. um, during that moment. Um, I agree. I think, you know, you really see him uh, having come on and progressed. You know, even as Madani said, you just see him progress and you've seen that happen. But there is that moment where I do like that he stumbles because he gets his flashes of the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm even wondering if they're going to set up a Punisher-like vigilante group. I'm not just speculating here now, and I'm kind of like, I just want to get to the meat of the meat and the two bones, because they could go a hundred different directions with this, and that's, again, it's at the end of, towards the end of the episode, so it drives you to go, oh, okay, where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, that, it brings us on to our next point, because this episode really did pick up the pace again after quite a slow episode, I think, mm-hmm. last episode in comparative terms. So this kind of brings us back to the action. It brings us back to kind of the storylines where we want to go. So bullet point number four is Frank's off to the gym. The Russian gym? Yes. And we get our special appearance this season because we didn't get him in Daredevil, as we said, in Daredevil season three. Turk Barris is back. And I love the interaction between Frank and Turk. I really do. I think it's so intriguing. I love that Frank goes, well, I need to know where these guys are. And this guy, Turk, I don't care how legitimate he might feel he is now. He's still going to be my connection to the Russians. I think it's really good seeing the two of them together again. Yeah, right there. And I'm glad we saw him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This was really good to see Turk Barris. And I just really like how he he just plays it. it. It's just so good. I mean, whether it's from him realizing that frank's on the back seat of his car going oh no not you and frank's like yes me um to you know the the end post the the fight in the gym with the russians um where he's like do i have to see you again anytime soon um and frank's like no you don't because i just love his reaction to what's going on, mm-hmm. which is effectively, I'm just going to stare at the wall because this is so, so brutal. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be honest, an open question, and I mean, it's a legitimate one from me. Was this gym fight too brutal? Was it maybe slightly um, heading over the edge in terms of the the brutality of it in particular the um the weight uh, to the man's face and there was part of me that did kind of want to stop watching what was going on because it it, it seemed a little too on the nose uh, no pun intended of course yeah i think you know my feelings about this john it did go too far for me uh, in this episode there's there's points when you can just move the camera away from away from the screen. You don't have to show someone's face caved in with a weight. It's not necessary to get across the point that Frank has knocked this guy to the ground and he's probably not getting back up. Um, I just think it, it just strayed a little bit too far into that territory. You know, I watch things like The Walking Dead. You know, I watch those type of shows where people die all the time on screen, seeing someone getting punched in the face repeatedly until their their skull breaks. It's just a little too far for TV for me. Um personally i'm a bit of a yes no on this Mm. did i need to see it no was there a reason yes um and i think the reason is twofold one they're going for this is an over-the-top r-rated violent punisher Mm -hmm. um so 
from a directorial decision, it makes sense to show the impact of the weight of Frank's fights. Yeah. But it's not R-rated, and they're still installing the L-shaped bedsheets that you have hated for all of these shows since, since season one, you know. This is a show that 16 plus is the rating that's on Netflix, or 15s, I think, over, oh, wow. over here. So um, I think the violence that's in here is probably the level of violence that would be edited out if it was on the big screen in the cinema. I don't think anybody ever gets to watch all 13 ep- episodes of this to cut, tell them to cut elements of it to reduce the violence slightly. There's just a tiny touch too far on that scene for me. Yeah, I don't think you needed to see the face caved in completely as it fell to the ground. I know that another guy isn't real. I know it was just a dummy, obviously, but it just felt just that touch over the boundary that I would, I would deem for the show. It's still based on a comic book at the end of the day. There's still people going to tune into it and go, I'm Fred Punisher com- comics. That's grand. They're, it's a very different thing seeing it on screen though. I, I think I would agree. I think with, with, with Chris, there's part of me that kind of was like, oh, I think they've maybe just gone a bit too far here yet. This is the Frank Castle for for this show. It, you know, he is uncompromising and he is brutal. And there is that moment in a fight that that inner sort of wolf um, and and uh, the Punisher comes out, and that's exactly what he did here: was punish, punish, punish. And um, I think just generally, I think the flow of this fight in the gym was really, really good. I'd agree. I, yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think as well for this Russian gym, this this did become the glue, um, I think, for this show so far. Uh, whether it was um, at the end with the Pilgrim uh, arriving in New York or whether it's with Turk, um, you know, effectively getting into hot water because um, of him knowing about Chicago and Konchevsky and, and everything, you know, this is kind of the glue that's starting to link what happened in Chicago with Amy, with this fight with Frank, with the reason why um, the man in black is coming to New York. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a little focal center and important plot point um within the story so i i did like the scenes uh here in the russian gym i thought it really added to the story um and i thought the fight really lifted this episode actually oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of giving something to talk about because there was you know other aspects of this uh episode were it felt slow for me um so i'm glad that they brought this in yeah agreed and i will say the one thing that i also have a problem with and i know chris you're saying that there's a reason for it. I think the one problem with the scene I have is actually there's no reason for it. There's a moment right at the beginning that they're having the conversation when Frank arrives at the Russian gym and the guy goes, I don't want Punisher in my business. I don't know why you're even here. And they work out over the course of two lines of dialogue that they're both looking for the same people and neither of them are involved in what they're looking for. So Frank hasn't killed Konchevsky and they didn't kill Konchevsky. They're both looking. So they could have worked together. I know that was unlikely. They could have worked together or Frank could have beaten them up enough to get the information. Yeah. But there's no reason for Frank to kill all of them because these are not the people he's after. Frank's killing them because it's the Punisher and they're criminals. But that's not something that's been established in this show that that's the Punisher, that he will just kill anybody who's a criminal. That's yeah. not where it is. I do also feel really sorry for poor Turk in this. And I slightly mentioned it. But the deal for Turk was that he was to get... 25% of whatever he negotiated. So he got no money because no money was negotiated. 
And the actual deal that was there for him was either he runs his mouth enough to stay alive or the Russians kill him. That's basically the deal that was there. And he wasn't told that was the deal until after it happened. What if he hadn't been able to run his mouth? He's been legitimate now for a year or so. What if he hadn't been able to run his mouth enough for the Russians to go into this trap that Frank had set up? I guess Frank knows him really well, so that wasn't a risk, but it seemed like a pretty big risk to take. Yeah, he, like his poor shop was broken into as well mm-hmm. because they broke in with all the, 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 the guys, the other the other side of the, the Russian army yeah. broke in. Yeah. Um, I just want to actually refer back to episode two, right? Mm-hmm. When I talked about, I think the violence in this show now and what they're showing us is to show the impact of Frank, mm-hmm. right? In the fight in episode one, we see the bystanders getting hurt. Like when bullets are flying, we see the, the bouncer, we see just a random person mm-hmm. get shot instead of Frank. Um, and I think they're continuing to a degree with that through, which is we see the cop get the gut shot. We see in this, it's, yes, they could have not shown us the, the level of gore that they did show us. Mm-hmm. But I think what they're doing is going, yeah, well, if Frank comes in and beats the hell out of you, this is the level that he would beat you up. Yeah. And this is the, the visible gore and violence that would happen. Yeah. And I think it's just, potentially you're right. Potentially they just went, they could have shown it off screen, uh, without actually showing the dummy. But I think they just, I think that was a, just a choice to show that, yeah, when the Punisher hits you with, in the face with a weight multiple times, this is what you're going to end up oh, looking I, yeah, like. I think we would have known that the, um, like we're, we're all fans of, of action movies. We're all, you know, grew up in the eighties and nineties. We, we've seen loads of action movies. There's a point in action movies where everything changed and it was when Sylvester Stallone came back and made the Rambo sequel, John Rambo. And his whole purpose in that movie was to kill everything and to show everything on screen that was possible. It was an absolute mess of a film and they just showed dummies being exploded and every scene with blood flying Hmm. everywhere for the entire thing to the point where it became one of those movies where they had the counter going and and a YouTube version of it where they had the counter of all of the bodies that were killed throughout the film, all the people that were killed throughout the film by John Rambo and then it was the highest body count ever, that kind of thing. I don't want the Punisher to have to rely on these kind of gags as ways to get people through an episode. I don't want them to go, oh, well, you know, if I sit around five more minutes, maybe I'll see somebody's ears being pulled off. You know, maybe that's going to be the gag for the next episode. They don't need to rely on that. He's a violent guy. We know that. The fight scene itself was pretty great. As you said, John, the movements of the fight as he goes through it are fantastic, showing the brutal fighter that he is, not the stylized dance-type fighter that we get sometimes with Daredevil or got sometimes with Iron Fist. He's a brutal, brutal fighter. But... That moment, I think, was just pushing it too far so they could push the boundaries. That's all yeah. it felt to me. But again, but that's personal fair. feeling. Personal feeling. So, at the end of this, we do find out, we do get a name. Nikolai Polodesnyv. Mm-hmm. It takes us, I, in my head, I'm like, who is that? Do we know anything? We find out when Frank gets back and he speaks to Amy before they move from Adani's. She Googles it. Like, I'm <laughs> expecting, like, he's a Russian mobster. He's not going to be just online. And she Googles it, and it turns out to be this um, ex-Russian military, um, I can't remember what arm of the military, but essentially now he's a real estate owner and lives in New York, yes. which is quite handy since they're 
in New York. Yeah. So yeah. the guys set out of Madani's, they leave the credit card, mm-hmm. and we get to them essentially walking into the sunset, but no, it's them walking down the street, sharing a bonding moment about Madani being unhappy. Yeah. So was this a gag? Was this a joke from the Russian mobster who gave them the name and then said, look him up on the internet when Frank didn't know who he was? And then they'd look him up on the internet and find him instantly on Wikipedia. Is that just a, is that just the joke? Is that the joke that I didn't laugh at? <laughs> Cause I, I just, am, I think I am genuinely more... going, they actually did look him up on the internet. Maybe he was giving them the right information. <laughs> I think it was just one of those kind of like, we're supposed, to, it's supposed to be almost like one of the, the, the Russian oligarchs mm-hmm. in the yeah. US that kind of run around with millions of dollars. And like, I think it was supposed to be a gag on that. Yeah. Uh, or one of the, the, the kind of the, the only way is Essex for our UK listeners style people. It's like, you don't know who this is. You're how out of touch are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's a joke on any other kind of show would go, well, hold, let me check, let me check the web. Let me check the CIA files. Yeah. And they tap on the computer a few minutes and then all of a sudden they have, this information and it's like actually well, you could just go to wikipedia because most people things are on the internet now. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's like abramovich isn't it really um mm-hmm. huge amount of wealth not entirely sure it's come from but probably owns a football club yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just also important to mention that um Amy and Frank were given 24 hours to leave the city by Madani because she realized they couldn't help her with the Billy situation. And what they've actually done is left her apartment and gone in to move into a place that Curtis organized for them. So despite all the conversations that Madani had with Curtis to tell her the information first, he's actually handed off the information to Frank of a place to stay while he's in the city, uh, while he takes down the Russians. So, um, so importantly, they're not telling Madani they're staying and Frank's going, it'll be fine. She won't even notice people's faces exploding and, and, uh, <laughs> in gyms and won't connect it to me at all. It'll be grand. One, one point on that is actually Frank's still saying, actually he's not saying he can't help her. He's saying he won't at this point. She's saying he can't. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it, they, they, she's saying you can't just go off and kill him. So I, I think there's, we're going to get a point where that will flip. And I think that's when the Punisher is unleashed <laughs> on Billy. We'll get that kind of, Frank, go punish or something silly. I'd love if they went super comic book like that. She calls him <laughs> up and goes, Frank, go punisher mode or <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe she will do that. I'm, I'm not too sure if that's what she meant though. I think she's saying you're not going to help me out because you've got this whole other deal going on. And unless you solve this whole thing with the Russians, you're not going to help me with this Billy thing. You basically just use me to get, get you from. Michigan to New York. You're not here to deal with Billy at all, are you? You know, that's what it felt like more than I don't want you to help me. Does that make sense? Or am I, or did I misread that differently? I took it that she knows this other kind of side story <laughs> is going on. I think she's just like, well, you're distracted. Cause it's when Amy slips up and says to her, maybe you could help us out since this Billy thing won't get sorted. You can help us out and maybe deport these Russians. And Frank goes, Amy, shut it. <laughs> she doesn't know anything about the Russians. Shut up. Madani is obviously like, I don't want you doing your Punisher thing. Yeah. You're, you're not supposed to be punishing people. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Or a vigilante anymore. So, uh, I think it's like, let's go off and solve your thing and come back to me. So go solve your thing. So you're freed up. I think it's more, I don't want you working on that thing. So get out of town. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, with that, we move on to our fifth and final point. Mm-hmm. For this, which is the unholy land, the pilgrim comes to New York. How good does that sound as a title for a movie? <laughs> this is like 
the unholy land, colon, the pilgrim comes. You could have that on a poster. It would look brilliant. That is pretty good. I must say, I really loved the imagery around the pilgrim, um, the new name for the man in black, um, because it was just so cool. I mean, that final uh, image of him coming out of the Russian gym uh, in that kind of moonlight just so iconic, I thought, actually. And I really enjoyed him with the Schultzes either side holding the hands, mm-hmm. um, you know, as they kind of give him this mission to go off um, into uh, the unholy land of, of New York with all its dodginess, crime uh, and immorality as as they view it. So I, I, I must say I really enjoyed the whole... Um, the way he was framed within the shots. I just thought it was really iconic, actually. And I, I think the actor Josh Stewart, who plays uh, the Pilgrim, uh, his presence, he just projects really, really well. And I, I find him really scary. It, it's that silent but deadly look that you have. Um, and yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to cross him either yeah i really enjoyed the flagellating pit but it did remind me that scene reminded me directly out of defensive code right um, yeah. where we saw paul bethany uh who was the monk in that mm-hmm. kind of whipping himself too yeah self-flagellation is one of those really really scary things that, yeah. that is used a lot in movies to indicate how Unhinged. far a a christian person has gone you know it, it's been something that was used in, in medieval times something that's always used to show full extremism because it's connected with someone self-flagellating someone beating themselves basically punishing themselves for the fact that they were born with sin so most catholic and most christian te- teachings teach you that you know you have your baptism and then original sin is gone if you're if you believe in that in that side of, of the Catholic teachings, you have your baptism, your original sin is gone, and then from then on, whatever sins you commit, you apologize for them in confession. Whereas when you're spending your entire life believing that you're always a sinful being and flagellating yourself, beating yourself for it, you know you've gone into full extremism here. <laughs> and it always is scary when they use it in films. Yeah, and this, in my opinion, is just used to show how fanatical Yeah. Literally, yeah. it, it was a scene just to show how fanatical of a religious zealot, and I, I go, I'm careful using that word, but he is, like, I could see if you took the Lord's name in vain in front of him, which I'm assuming will happen at some point in this, he will automatically kill you. Right. Like, yep. I think they're, they're going to show how it was literally a device for that. Yeah. Because we do then see when, um, the Schultzes uh, arrive and the, the Eliza goes up and to visit Pilgrim's wife and she's mm-hmm. telling her support. And the wife is saying she's made peace with everything except one thing. We don't actually find out what that is, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. I'm wondering if it's their backstory life. It will come. We know that this information will come. But I'm more interested to see how they're using the Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what's really important in this scene is is the moment when Anderson is telling the pilgrim his mission and telling him that um, Frank and the girl are in New York. So again, they know who Frank is. They still aren't sure exactly who the girl is, but they know they're in New York. And Anderson Schultz is saying, "It's you need to go back to New York, and I know how difficult it's going to be for you because of how effectively how 
despicable the streets are. So it's almost like Anderson Schultz believes that when the former man in black, when the pilgrim arrives in New York, he'll get out of his car and he'll just punish everybody in the city for their wayward ways and will never find his way to Frank because there's just too much grime and dirt in the city of New York is the way it's kind of comes across. Just to point out, actually, because we haven't even mentioned it, sorry, in the subtitles for the episode, that's where the name The Pilgrim comes in. Uh, that's where we saw it. Um, for one of our fellow defenders mentioned it in their feedback last episode and absolutely right uh it doesn't change anything the pilgrim is not a character from the comic book so uh we're not spoiling anything by calling him the pilgrim it's just a much easier name than the man in black because i know people were probably confusing that with johnny cash this is not johnny cash different guy so we're going to call him the pilgrim from now on that's what the subtitles say so we'll we'll leave it at that anyway yeah and I, I that's the interesting thing i've been spending a while now trying to figure out who this potential um, Man of Black, Pilgrim, now we're calling him Pilgrim, who he was, is he pulled from previous, is he amalgamation? It looks like he's a completely made for TV, made for the season, made for the show character. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. That's the good thing. Absolutely. And I don't want to research it too much just in case it turns out that there is actually a person like that. So I've done a, a top level research. There's nobody called Pilgrim, nobody with this type of uh, backstory in the comic books. Um, and I don't want to push it too far in case somebody goes, oh, well, actually, in episode eight, they called him this, and that character is someone from the comic book. So we'll leave it there at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So what we do get upon, we get kind of two more kind of beats with the Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. We get him go speaking to his wife, talking about how he has to go to New York, and he, he's going to do this. And she promises that she will still be alive if he goes quickly and does his work quickly. Yes. So this does lead me to believe, even though she's being treated by the Schultz, or will be soon treated by the Schultz, that she is terminal, something is going on, that she probably has days, hours to live mm-hmm. type of thing. And that's why the Pilgrim is doing everything for the Schultz. So it's not like she's just sick. She is terminal with days, moments, hours to live, and the Schultz have just dangled in front of Pilgrim an experimental treatment that could save her. Maybe, maybe. I'm not too sure whether it's that. Mm. Maybe. She says that they actually are treating her already, um, that everything that's happened so far is is what they've done for her. And then she promises she'll still be alive when he arrives and waiting for him, but I don't think she promises to be alive much longer than that. Um, so it feels like they have talked her into explaining to Pilgrim that he has to go on the mission and she will still be there waiting for him when he gets back, but not much longer because it feels like he never would have left at all if he thought she was going to die while he was gone, if that makes sense. Yeah, but we yeah. also remember back in episode one, two, mm-hmm. where the Schultz are talking to Pilgrim. They talk When Anderson is talking to Pilgrim, yeah. he does go, I'm trying to get you this treatment. We're trying to get that sorted. So it's kind of, I'm I'm getting that this is how they play the marionette with the pilgrim. Maybe. They, yeah. they dangle the time of medical aid. Um, but he goes anyway. He yep. does go, which is great. And we do get this pop, pop, pop in the gym. Yeah. And we see a pilgrim. We see a pilgrim walk out of the saloon. That was my worst <laughs> Western um, impression. Uh, but yeah, he comes out putting some form of gun back into his pocket, which into his coat pocket, which it must be the thinnest gun in the world because it didn't bulge that much. He has quite a tight jacket fitted at the top. 
And then he walks out and he has his hand <laughs> in his jacket, obviously, like, reholstering. But it's kind of... He doesn't have much room to hide stuff in there. So I'm like, that's a thin gun. Purpose-built, obviously. Purpose-built. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I liked, I liked the shooting. I liked the kind of, the, as you say, Chris, the pop, pop, pop um, in, in the gym. Down go the Russians, I presume. Um, those that did survive Frank um, certainly didn't survive uh, the Pilgrim, so... Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to see uh, how he wreaks a bit of uh, havoc on the streets of New York, really, mm-hmm. tearing it up to try and find Amy, these pictures. And seemingly from his side, Frank Castle, um, who is a bit of a passion project, it would seem, uh, in terms of uh, his motivation for, for tracking him down. Although it's interesting, as you say, that Anderson Schultz also says, you know, they know that he's in New York. Um, so, yeah. And I presume that the Pilgrim quite enjoyed um, popping off the, the Russians. He probably, you know, given his, his tattoos that have been taken off um, his body, the, the X kind of far right and, and Nazi tattoos, he probably thinks that... Uh, all the Russians are Soviets that need to be put down. So um, he probably does see the um, spiritual side in this as well. Maybe, maybe. Uh, that's it for our top five points for this episode of Pusher. Uh, one-eyed jacks. Uh, no major notes. Uh, obviously, the term one-eyed jacks is a reference to the jacks, the one that look towards you, only have one eye uh, towards you on a deck of cards, a uh, reference to the uh, to the game that, uh, that Amy and, and Punisher are playing. Uh, anything else in this episode, Chris, that you p- might have picked up? Nothing from my side. Again, I just it's a very Easter egg, scarce mm-hmm. couple of episodes we've yeah. seen so far. I think we noticed from season one and from the reaction from people that were watching it that it's not one aimed at comic book fans as such. They've taken some of the main characters from the comic books and they're aiming it at a different audience. And definitely this season feels like a continuation of that idea rather than going back to the comics to pick up uh, storylines. Let's get on to our defense. Chris, do you defend The Punisher season two, episode five, One-Eyed Jacks? Um, I, I defend this a hell of a lot more than episode four. Right. Um, because it did pick up the pace again for me. It, so, as I said in episode four, that was Basil Exposition episode, mm-hmm. where we slowed things down. We're going to give you a lot more story beats and understanding of the characters. And actually, that may have been the intention, but actually, it, it just slowed the pace down too much. Whereas this episode gave us a good fight team comparatively uh, mm-hmm. and depending on your viewpoint it gave us uh, more backstory it gave us a uh, better understanding of where the characters actually are uh, in terms of mental state health things like that introduced a few more questions that we really want to answer um and gave us turk as well which is always a good thing Absolutely. so i i defend this a lot more um than i did episode four yeah yeah excellent john do you defend the punisher season two episode five when i jacks I do defend uh, this episode uh, of The Punisher. Um, I have to say, I would have said before we had our um, discussion podcast here uh, that I would have just defended it. I- I'm a little more on the defense side of this episode after our, our chit-chat here. Um, I'd give it three and a half bruised, battered, and bloody thumbs up out of five uh, for me. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of important stuff in here, actually. 
um, you know, centered around the Schultzes and, and the Pilgrim and with the Russian Jim, uh, as well as there being a lot of character importance here with Madani Russo, um, really, um, beginning to find themselves a bit. Madani, because of her opening up to Curtis and to, uh, Frank and, and Amy and also Russo in terms of this connection back with, um, someone from the military, a, a veteran, uh, someone he can connect with. Um, so I really like that. I think it ties a lot of stuff, uh, together, really. Both the Russians, Amy, the Pilgrim, uh, and for Madani, uh, and Russo to, to Frank. So I, I really like this. We also get Turk Barris as well. So, uh, I really enjoyed that. The fight scene was excellent. Although, you know, I love the reaction of Turk to the fight. And in some ways, that was also a bit like mine as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I did kind of, at some stages, want to just start to look at the wall and maybe rock slightly um, because of what was <laughs> going on. But this is definitely a, a thumbs up and a defend for me as well. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Punisher Season 2, One-Eyed Jack? I'm on the cusp right here. Um, this is one of the ones that's making me wonder whether I'd be watching the show if I wasn't podcasting about it. Um, I did mention to one of our fellow defenders, I was having a discussion with them about something that happened much earlier on in the season, which was one thing I'm noticing with this Punisher is don't make a judgment too quickly in an episode. And <laughs> this is what I'm going to do right here. I'm going to live by my own advice and not make a judgment too quickly. Because right now, if it was based on this episode, I don't like Amy. I don't like Frank at the end of this episode. I think Frank has made some decisions in this episode that I think are pretty harsh and way too far. You know, coming back after beating up and killing these people and uh, smacking somebody's face in and getting home to Amy and Amy asking how it goes. And he does a big smile covered in blood and two thumbs up. Haha, isn't that hilarious? Well, it's not hilarious for me. <laughs> I don't I don't really like characters like that in a lot of films. So, uh, so yes, I'm not going to make a judgment of this episode. But if I was to say... Would I move on if I was watching this and I wasn't podcasting about it? I probably would leave it for a few weeks before I went on to episode six. Uh, this episode was a bit too brutal. We did get some great moments for characters I really do like. Uh, having Madani have that moment in uh, in the therapy group, I think, was really, really important and really, really good. I liked seeing Billy kind of come back out um, from the the scared little child that we've seen for the last few episodes is kind of interesting to see what it is that's motivating him a little more in this episode that's really good and um, two things i particularly didn't like in this episode uh, they used a really bad trope for me the pilgrim's wife who's talking to eliza and saying i've sorted everything out except for this one thing and then the camera cuts off and it goes to a different scene i'm like why why do i need to wait for next episode to find out what that line is give me something at least to grab onto as to what it could be in reference to does she regret not putting her kids into Catholic school? Does she regret not buying that summer dress when she was a kid? <laughs> it could mean anything or it could mean nothing. We don't need any more hints at what could possibly maybe be going on in the Pilgrim. We're five episodes of the show. We've seen them every episode. We need to know some grounded things about their life. Uh, we got that bit in there. And the other one was at the gym, as I mentioned, when that first conversation happening between the two characters and the Russian realizes that Frank's not the one he's after and Frank realizes it's not the Russians he could be after. I know I'm a bit of a peace and love kind of guy, but why the hell was there a fight where he pretty much looks like he killed about four people after that? They had a conversation. They pretty much nailed it all. Frank could have walked out 
and he didn't. He just went into the fight. That felt like it was just put there to satisfy a bit of bloodlust that the audience might have had because this got a bit too talky in the episode. So probably not one for me, but I'm definitely not going to come back to this episode. Um, but I'm still going to be obviously carrying on with the rest of the season. And hopefully uh, they'll continue on the trend that we saw in the first four episodes of the show. That is it for our defense for the episode. Fellow defenders, let us know what you thought of this episode and of the rest of the season so far. Just email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com if you've watched the full season and want to tell us your thoughts. Or join us over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast. We've got some spoiler posts up there for the episodes we've watched so far. And you can tell us your thoughts on each individual episode as we go. So with that, on to some feedback. Yes, our first piece of feedback is on episode one. Again, some additional f- feedback after we released our episode on episode one. Jamie Alexander says, I'm pausing my binge watch to catch up on the podcast. I'm glad I'm not the only one who appreciated how unbeat up John Bernthal was in episode one. <laughs> it was nice to see him clean for the first episode because I don't think he's been clean again uh, after that episode. Just blood and dirt and everything thrown at him and bruises and cuts since then. We also got some feedback over on episode two from our Facebook group. Robert Phillips said, I enjoyed this episode with Frank in his natural state as a guerrilla warfare expert. The evolution of Runaway, I was your new character. I imagine she will have multiple names for multiple reasons. I was slightly surprised she didn't set off an alert at the pre station, which I expect to be a scene of carnage and only half standing by five minutes into episode three. <laughs> well, we know now it wasn't, it wasn't exactly as you thought it would happen, which is really good. So, so it wasn't completely destroyed five minutes into the episode. We got a, did get a good siege in that episode. Yes, and it was only the back door. That would really explode. Exactly. To be fair. (laughs) Alex Anderson also wrote in and they said, two episodes in and I'm enjoying it very much. Plenty of action and mystery. I'm very excited to see how things are going to play out for Frank and the new characters whose name I haven't bothered yet to learn. (laughs) Curious to see how Microchip and Karen will factor into this, if at all. Not completely sure if I'm buying Billy Russo's amnesia. I think he definitely remembers everything. Mm. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, well, hopefully, I I talked about this in episode two. I do want to see microchip, but uh, I know Derek was saying better let the past characters be past characters. Well, micro particularly is what I was saying. Uh, he's he's a character. I think his story's finished. That's true. But hopefully, like I said, we get that scene where he kind of fits out Frank with a few new mm-hmm. gadgets. Yeah. Uh, Karen, I believe Deborah Wall had tweeted that she was involved in this season. Mm-hmm. I, I know she was at the premiere. So I'm hoping that she will come in at some point. That then puts a question into when all this occurs. But we'll play that game when she appears in the episode. I think it's an interesting one because Karen as a character is someone that's always mentioned when someone like Matt hasn't turned up to say hello to her when he's been around her area. So I kind of like the idea that she has a really different relationship with Frank. So he may bump into her just to say hi because he's in New York. Because it's a kind of a, a kinder relationship with Karen than Matt did when they first met, I suppose. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, some further feedback for episode three from our Facebook group as well. Uh, Robert Phillips goes, Assault on Cabin in the Woods 13 was a cracking episode. (laughs) I'm pleased we had so many survivors and marginally heartened by the returned $5. Ex-gang leader Pilgrim is a very unreformed scumbag, I think, and I'm assuming we'll hear more of him. Honestly, I was surprised by the dovetailing of the storylines in this episode. I expected to get to six before they met, but I'm not upset by it. Um, yeah, I did really enjoy the dovetailing of the storylines in this episode. But there is a part of me that really would quite like to still be in Michigan. Um, I, I really enjoyed 
the the drift of Frank. I like that storyline. Um, and in some ways, it it's almost feels as though New York confines um the the storytelling and maybe it's also because at this stage with all of the other uh, marvel netflix shows there's a lot of new york in these and mm-hmm. there's no, that's not a bad thing but it, it becomes like a refreshing breeze coming through seeing him in sort of uh the country yeah. uh doing something uh very different yeah. but uh yeah i i really thought the dovetailing here was pretty good uh, and how ultimately they merge up into new york then for episode four yeah it's interesting you say that john because remember we mentioned that back in iron fist season two where we had a lot of uh them over in kunlun in uh Jessica Jones season two, they were on the run. We saw a bit of the other city. The ba- the flashback to Karen's past and Daredevil and it does change up the season a bit if you got an episode set outside of the city. So I know what you mean. There was a couple, nice couple of episodes there at the beginning seeing uh, Michigan and now back to New York uh, for this episode. I think it's just because it's so much like, um, you know, that, that classic American tale of, of the drifter, really good. Yeah. And then you chuck in a Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, plus you have the pale rider element with the pilgrim, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they think he's their savior, but he's the devil. Um, so, you know, really, really good. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that feedback, Bob. Uh, got a piece of feedback on episode four, uh, also from our Facebook group from Michael Walling. Uh, he says, I'm getting a bit of a bullseye vibe from Billy Russo's storyline in that he's a sympathetic villain who can't help but do evil things due to psychological damage. I'll admit though, Arthur pretty much asked Russo to kill him during his drunken rant. Anyway, I hope that Russo doesn't become Bullseye version 2.0 but someone other than a complete psycho serial killer. Interesting. I'm not, I wasn't actually getting those vibes, uh, Michael, of, um, of him being a person who does evil things because of psychological damage. I'm kind of intrigued to see in this episode anyway, maybe episode 4 or see what you mean. In this episode, I'm kind of interested that He's going back to his old ways by connecting with people that were connected to things that he was interested in in the past. Um, so I think we're, we get a very calculated kind of killer in Billy Russo and we're starting to get a very calculated killer. And I feel like his murder of Arthur was something he had always been intending to do. That's why he was still able to remember the address uh, for all those years, even after not remembering all the other things that he's lost out of his head. He still remembered the address of Arthur and went there to kill him like he'd always intended. So he still feels like he's planning his killings and planning the people he wants to kill. So uh, so he does feel slightly different from Bullseye, who was manipulated into doing it more so than anything else. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone, for your feedback. Really appreciate it. Keep it coming. So if you want to send us your feedback for episode five, make sure you throw it into the Facebook group or just tweet it to us, email it to us, or send us a voicemail. Don't forget to write a review for us because it spreads the love. It helps people find this beautiful podcast. Uh, so you can do that over on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, etc., wherever you get your podcast fix. Don't forget to subscribe at DefendersTVPodcast.com and you can go and find us on all your channels. And we'll be back with our review of The Punisher Season 2, Episode 6, Nakasat next Thursday, Friday. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. As always, it's been a pleasure. I am most definitely not off to the gym now, but uh, when I get up off the couch, uh, we'll speak with you again soon. Bye. Now you're a lot of people tend to lose, lose, but I'm going to tell you what to do.